This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui from Upper Hand Fantasy. This is Joey Volpe, fantasy.football.analyst on Instagram. Joey, we were in a car for a really, really, really long time together this weekend going to the Fantasy Football Expo, uh, and we got to hang out again doing this podcast. Uh, but you know what, man? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not completely tired of you yet. I have not to yet. say. Not yet. Not yet. But I'm about to be in, in about an hour or so. <laughs> How's it going, the second man? podcast we're recording today uh doing good doing good hopefully there's no sleep talking on this podcast uh <laughs> dude, i mean we are crazy. recording this we are recording this pretty late uh but that's okay <laughs> we're dedicated that's what happens listen it's august it's the middle of august no well, well it's past the middle of august now the middle of this point, and man. um we just passed the week one of preseason that's what we want to talk about today but you know this is like crunch time right here right the season's going to start in a couple weeks so we got to be on it and we got to let the folks know who to target, who not to target, whether they should create the noise, whether they should hop on hype trains. That's what we're trying to do. So we're going to go over uh, all of the action from the week one of preseason, what we can take away uh, from, you know, these players and, you know, their snaps and the roles that we've seen, uh, you know, in week one with the first teams. Um that's kind of what we look at. We look at to see, like, you know, which players played with the first team, which players didn't even play, even though they were healthy, that sort of thing. We're going to break all that down, and we're going to break down how it affects the fantasy landscape. Sounds good, man? You ready? Of course I'm ready. All right, man. Let's do it. So just a little bit of news. Uh, Chase Claypool uh, – so we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, mm-hmm. But Chase Claypool uh, did get hurt. Um, it was either an ankle injury or a knee injury. Uh, we yeah. don't know what it is, uh, but he did, you know, hit the floor at uh, at training camp. Uh, he couldn't put any weight on one of his legs, but you know there are reports saying that it's not uh, a serious injury, uh, that he shouldn't be out for too long, and even he himself tweeted out that he's good. Uh, but we still don't know what the severity of the injury is. We don't know what it is yet. So you know that's just something to to note 
Okay. Um, but yeah, let's move right into it. And, and let's, let's just start with that Steelers game real quick. Um, and that wide receiver core. Okay. Um, one thing about that wide receiver core that was interesting is that uh, when the Steelers, the, so remember the Steelers switched offensive coordinators, right? This season, uh, they, they, they moved on to Matt Canada. Uh, and what they did was they were actually moved into two wide receiver sets a little bit more uh, with that first team, uh, you know, more, more than we thought that they would. Right. And also um, they actually ran a lot uh, from under center which, you know, if you watch the Steelers, you know, almost all of Big Ben's snaps were from the shotgun. So they are changing. And if you watch them, you saw some movement, you know, some misdirection behind, you know, before the snap, which is something that they didn't do at all, you know, in the previous few seasons. Um, and one thing with Claypool and Juju is that Juju was actually, uh, surprisingly, he was on the field um, a lot more than you would think, even in two wide receiver sets, about three times more uh, in two wide receiver sets than Chase Claypool. So you would think that in two wide receiver sets, you would see Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool on the field. Um, and obviously this is this was before Claypool's injury. This was this past weekend. Uh, but Claypool came in, um, you know, here and there uh, with that with that first team in two wide receiver sets. And then in three wide receiver sets, he was obviously on the field. Uh, but Juju was playing on the outside and the inside. So do you think that we are sleeping on Juju a little bit or do you think that Chase Claypool, obviously, you know, the injury, you know, hopefully it's minor and he'll be ready and good to go by week one. Do you think that Chase Claypool still has the upside um, to be more valuable? And, you know, considering the few round difference between Chase Claypool and Juju, do you think that uh, it's, it's warranted into 2021? So how far apart are they going from each other? Is Chase Claypool going two or three two, rounds after? Yeah, exactly. Two or three rounds, exactly. <laughs> so at, at that point, I'm still taking Chase Claypool because my thoughts here are, yeah, Juju is getting more snaps on the field, and that doesn't really surprise me all that much because he's the more seasoned veteran. Uh, he's used to this offense. I mean, and he's still a great asset to a team in terms of being a talented wide receiver. So I understand why he's on the field and Chase Claypool still has a lot to go as far as learning. Um, but I feel like Juju can be this every down kind of guy while Claypool's this kind of like, okay, we're going to do play action. We want Claypool in the field. Um, we're going to throw a DB one Claypool, uh, Claypool on the field. So I, I think it's going to depend on the play call, but it doesn't surprise me that Juju's getting the work that he is. Uh, I think my only takeaway from this is that Deontay is staying on the field. And I think that's the beautiful part about this is that um, he, he's no doubt going to be the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. And uh, in the fifth round, he's looking like a value right now. Big he man is going to pepper him with targets. A hundred percent. And he was on uh, the field for every first team snap, uh, whether they ran the ball or they passed it. So he's here to stay. He's the guy. Um, and he, in the, even in this first preseason game without Ben, uh, he was making plays. Um, now moving on to that backfield, Najee Harris, he got every snap with the first team. He's a three down back. He's an every down guy. So his price of early second round, right at the turn there is it's, it's warranted, you know, he's going to get a ton of, uh, a ton of, um, work in the running game and the passing game. I know the offensive line, uh, you know, isn't great. You know, it's projected to be one of the worst in the NFL, but at the end of the day, you know, that's really not what it, what matters for fantasy football. Sure, if you're looking from a real football perspective, there's a lot of 
a lot of things that that affects. It affects the game a ton. But at the end of the day, for fantasy purposes, especially in PPR leagues, uh, it, it won't affect this situation too much. Now, if you had an amazing offensive line, then it just so that, you know, it's just a, a huge boost for Najee Harris. Sure. But at the end of the day, work is the work, right? It, all, all that matters at this point is the volume, and it looks like he's going to get it. Yeah, and um, also notably in this backfield as well, Anthony McFarland seemed to get a bulk of the carries. He's got some familiarity with Matt Canada. They did work together in the past. So if you're looking for the handcuff right now, it's looking like Anthony McFarland. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll have to see how this plays out. And um, as far as the offensive line, I think someone mentioned it. I swear I heard so many things about fantasy football this weekend. Someone must have mentioned somewhere that uh, Dalvin Cook's offensive line last year was 28th in the league. And he was the running back two behind Alvin yeah. Kamara. So it, it really, at, at the end of the day, volume is volume. Najee is definitely worth that early second. And I think if he did have that elite offensive line, he'd be worth a first rounder. So um, as of right now, I'm completely fine with Najee's price. Yeah, and Anthony McFarland, he, he got a ton of work. You know, right after Najee uh, came out, Anthony McFarland was the guy, and he even played on third downs. So, you know, he's a guy that could profile for at least for that coaching staff as, uh, you know, a workhorse back if Najee Harris were to go down. It seems like there he's ready for that role, whereas last year he wasn't necessarily ready for that role. Okay, uh, moving on. Um, let's move on to the Patriots real quick. So, by the way, guys, like I'm kind of going to be going all over the place in terms of, you know, the uh, the way I did my research. I was going through all of the players and not necessarily going through the teams and looking at the film randomly. If I saw something, I'll paste it down and I kind of put all those notes together. So I'm just going to be all over the place. But it, it's I will put the bookmarks uh, in the in the podcast so you can kind of skip around. Uh, Jacoby Myers. Uh, I want to talk about the Patriots. Jacoby Myers, it seems like he's going to be a thing. He's somebody that, you know, obviously, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So you kind of want to diversify in terms of like who that last round pick is for your teams. Like if you're in like 10 teams this year, if you're, you know, 10 leagues this year, you know, you kind of want to diversify as much as you can. But Jacoby Myers, he he played all 12 snaps with the starters. Uh, Nikhil Harry also did, but he only garnered one target in all of on 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 his snaps and when the second team came in he was he was still on the field for a bit so jacoby myers if you if you pay attention to matt Harmon's reception perception he he proved he shows that jacoby myers you know it wasn't just a flash in the pan last year and it wasn't just by circumstance that he was able to get the football um he was actually a pretty good receiver and he actually separated pretty well against man and zone so jacoby myers is somebody that will likely be the number one wide receiver again uh, he played on the outside and he played on the inside as well with the first team. So Jacoby Myers is somebody that should be on everyone's radar going into this year. Yeah. And, and notably that was without Nelson Aguilar playing in this game. So um, as a Jacoby Myers fan, I'm definitely willing to take him in that last pick. I just really want to see the situation when Nelson Aguilar is also in the field, because maybe he takes away from Myers being on the field and then Myers playing with the second team as well as Nikhil Harry. It wouldn't make sense for me for that to be the case. He's clearly their best wide receiver, but uh, that is still something I want to see. Um, I'm not sure if you're planning on getting into Ramondre Stevenson or not, but yeah, sure, since we're it. with the Patriots, you know, let, let's jump on top of that. So Ramondre Stevenson, he had a pretty impressive preseason game. In fact, I think he had the best preseason game out of all running backs. Uh, 10 carries, 127 yards, two touchdowns to the ground. A lot of that is 
thanks to the last one of the last plays of that Patriots uh, Washington preseason game. I think he took the ball like 80 yards or something ridiculous like that. And uh, that was also thanks to a wide open hole in the offensive line and then nobody touching him and he made it all the way down the field and scored. So that kind of blew up his stats a little bit. What this does tell me is I think this is the team that can move on from someone like um, Sonny Michelle. And I think Ramondre Stevenson is a guy who can be good depth for them. Uh, J.J. Taylor also had a pretty decent game as a pass catcher, five of five targets for 31 yards. But, you know, for me, this is this is still Damian Harris's backfield. And that's kind of what I took away from this, is that, like, Ramondre Stevenson had one good run. If that drops Damian Harris's value and it makes his ADP fall, I'm 100% for it. But uh, there's, you know, nothing I saw with Stevenson that was really over the top. I know he was one of your favorite players leading up to the draft, which is something that we talked about before. Yeah, he was one of my favorite players, but I, I'm not going to get it twisted. Like, he, 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 was in, he was on the field in the fourth quarter late yeah. in the fourth quarter, which tells you what you need to know in terms of whether he's going to be in the Patriots plans for this year or not. Yep. Right. Uh, if you have a player and if you're one of your players is playing in the fourth quarter of the first preseason game, chances are it, without a couple injuries, that player is not going to be fantasy relevant that year. Right. So, you know, when you look at the first offense, you know, uh, Sony Michelle came in after, you know, several snaps and that was after, um, uh, ha- you know, uh, What's his name? I'm sorry. Uh, Michelle. Uh, after Damien Harris. <laughs> so Damien Har- after Damien Harris's day was done, that's when Sonny Michelle came in. Um, so it was really Damien Harris and James White, um, you know, as the two backs, uh, you know, Damien Harris on early downs and James White coming in on passing downs. Um, it seems like that is what the main rotation is going to be. Uh, if, you know, if Sonny Michelle makes the team, there's a chance he's part of a, of a three-man rotation. Uh, but as of now, most likely, it seems to be the Damian Harris and, and James White show to start the year. Um, now, one interesting thing was, uh, you know, uh, moving on to the uh, to the Redskins, right? And uh, to, well, it's oh, not the Redskins. Whoa, anymore. whoa! Did you say Redskins, bro? I did, man. Did you just cancel for us? Uh, <laughs> right, I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the Washington Football Team. They, um, you know. They, uh, it's funny, like uh, a piece of, a piece, you know, a blurb came out today, you know, talking about their third string quarterback, talking Ooh. about, talking about Antonio Gibson, uh, you know, that they want Antonio Gibson to have a Christian McCaffrey like role and they're pushing him towards that role. Ooh. Right. And um, we've seen a lot of Christian, McCaff- Christian McCaffrey um, comparisons, you know, over the past two years. You know, with, with with whether it's him, and believe it or not, JD McKissick said the same thing about himself early last year, <laughs> and so did a couple other backup running backs for the for for Washington. So let's cool it with the Christian McCaffrey stuff, okay? We all want him to Antonio Gibson to have a three down roll and every down roll, um, but unfortunately, you know, if that was the case we wouldn't have seen J.D. McKissick on the field on passing downs with the first team in the preseason in the first game with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we wouldn't have seen anybody else. But unfortunately, there was three running backs in rotation with the first team. Now, the good thing is Antonio Gibson got a touch on almost all of his snaps, right? He got three targets in two drives, right? Um, And he was very involved. And I think he's going to be extremely involved. 
And I think in the past, in, in terms of the pass game, he's going to be involved on early downs for sure. Uh, but I would love to see over the next couple of weeks him to him to get more of a role. And I want to I want to see him uh, get. I I just I kind of don't want to see JD McKissick on the field at all. Um, if we're going to think that Antonio Gibson is going to have top four, top five upside. I think where he's going right now, middle of the second round is, is a fair price. Uh, it leaves room for upside. And I don't really think that, you know, he's being drafted too high necessarily um, because I do think he's going to be extremely involved. Uh, but I think the upside might be a little bit capped, you know, if JD McKissick and Peyton Barber are a little bit involved in this offense. So w- one thing I don't like, I don't want to do with preseason is I I don't want to look at one situation and say like, okay, that's, you know, Antonio, and this is not what you're doing, but I'm just saying like Antonio Gibson is only getting a few snaps here and there. It's a three man share. Therefore Antonio Gibson from based on this one preseason game, it's not worth his price, et cetera. Um, I, I want to look at trends, right? And the trend is a prevailing tendency or inclination. So, right. I'm busting out some definitions here. But uh, in in order for this to become a trend, it has to happen more than once. So if all three weeks of the preseason, there is a three-man rotation, we don't see any improvement to where, okay, Antonio Gibson was on the field for every single snap of this drive. And okay, and then maybe he was off the field a little bit for the next drive. If this does not change, then at that point, that is the trend, and I will lower him in my rankings. But with all these preseason players, I just do want to say that, you know, it, it is one game. A lot of times in that first game, especially teams want to try things out, try different rotations, uh, see how different players do in different situations. Um, and, you know, in that second and third game, we'll get a better idea of how these players are used based on when the starters are out. So as of right now, I, I don't want to overreact to any of these preseason news. But on the Washington front, I, I just want to bring up Jarrett Patterson. He was one of my favorite running backs going into this year. If you guys remember that running back from Buffalo that we couldn't figure out, if he's 5'6 or 5'9, the fact that he went undrafted kind of tells us that he's 5'6, but whatever. Um, he had uh, 10 carries for 40 yards. He had four catches for uh, 30 yards, four catches and four targets. So I like the way they were using him as a pass catcher. If he does make the roster, um, he's obviously not going to be relevant. But what I think what's worth noting here is that he'll have a roster spot. And down the line, if you stash him in Dynasty, Maybe there's a role there, especially if J.D. McKissick, I don't know how many years he's got left, and Peyton Barber, he might just be a uh, roster, you know, a salary cap savings over the next couple of years. So uh, just worth noting, just keep in the back of your brain, Jarrett Patterson, he had a role uh, in this preseason game, and he looked good. He looked good on the field. He made a, he won, made one really good play where he caught the ball, trucked the player, did a spin, and then kept going for an additional, like, 10 yards. I don't know if you saw that play, but uh, I'm just very excited about Jarrett Patterson for some reason. Right. So let's move on to the Saints. Uh, Taysom Hill got the start, and he was the only quarterback who, who got work with the first team in this game. Um, I, I, I'm personally taking a shot on him late in drafts, right? In, in deep leagues, in, in two quarterback leagues, he should be drafted. Um, and, you know, in case he's their quarterback this year, he, he didn't look amazing, right? Uh, but it is worth noting that Marquez Callaway was his favorite target. And Callaway was on the field for all of Hill's 20 snaps with the first team. Um, and he was targeted down the field. He almost had a 16 yards, uh, 16 yard a dot. Um, so Marquez Callaway is somebody that I'll be targeting in almost every single draft. 
Uh, Taysom Hill is somebody that in deep leagues, in deep one quarterback leagues, 14, 16 team leagues, you know, he's somebody that you, you have to you have to draft. And then in 12 team leagues is somebody that you just want to monitor, right? In case he becomes the quarterback, he's somebody, and then you ended up punting the quarterback position. You know, you end up taking a quarterback that might not start week one, or you end up taking a quarterback that just has upside. Uh, Taysom Hill is, is more of a short bet uh, if he does get the week one start. And because, just because of his rushing floor, because of the fact that he could get some rushing touchdowns near the goal line, um, he should be paid attention to. Neither him or, you know, uh, James Winston really stood out. Uh, in that first game. Um, so it's possible that, you know, they continue to, to, to roll with Taysom Hill in that second preseason game. Uh, but we'll see. It's possible that Jameis gets, uh, they take turns and Jameis gets a start uh, next week. Now, Adam Troutman, uh, he, it was interesting. He wasn't targeted on uh, once on any of his 15 snaps. Uh, he did have nine pass plays and he, he, he passed blocked on three of them, uh, but he wasn't targeted. Um, he, he was in a bit of a rotation, but the fact that he was in to block on a lot of these pass plays, um, it was interesting. The hope is that, you know, he's very involved, right? Like we were hoping that he would be the guy to mainly benefit, right, from Michael Thomas being out. Uh, but it seems like the guy who's really benefiting here is Marquez Callaway. So, you know, that's something to pay attention to. If Adam Troutman was on your uh, – if he was somebody that's on your, uh, your draft list later on, like this week – I might not be drafting too much of Troutman. See what happens next week, right? Since I'm in so many damn leagues, <laughs> right? I have a bunch. I have a, a couple drafts. <laughs> I have a couple. I have a couple drafts this week. I probably won't be drafting him. I'll see what happens this week, and then the following week, I'll have some opportunity to draft him uh, if his role changes a little bit. Uh, but he was in the field, though. That that, uh, that was a good sign. Yeah, a good sign. He's on the field. Um... It could have just been the game flow. Again, I want to see if this becomes a trend and if he's more of a blocker. I really don't see anybody in that tight end group from the Saints. Uh, their best guy behind him is Nick Vanette, who at this point has been tossed around the league. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't see anybody in this tight end group really coming up and taking the job from Adam Troutman as that potential uh, number one tight end there. So for me, it's either Adam Troutman's are involved or no tight ends are really involved, which is also exactly. a possibility. You know, exactly. There, there's exactly. Low, low target shares all around. So. Yeah, there's no other tight end that's going to be relevant or that's <laughs> going to be making Adam Troutman not do his thing. It's going to, it's either Adam Troutman's going to do something or no tight end's going to do something. Yep. Uh, speaking of tight ends, I, I, I don't know that as long as Zach Ertz is, is on the Eagles, I'm not sure uh, that you know, Dallas Goddard's price should remain as is like Dallas Goddard's price really uh, is what it is because everyone's assuming that Zach Ertz is going to leave. Everyone's assuming that Zach Ertz is going to get traded. Um, Ertz played more snaps. He ran more routes and they were rotating throughout the entire, you know, time that the first team was on the field. So the hope is that Zach Ertz, I mean, if you're drafting Zach Dallas Goddard that early, or if you did already, the hope you're hoping that Zach Ertz is traded. Because as of right now, um, Dallas Goddard is, is overpriced. And if if you're uh if you're fine to, you know, Zach Ertz is being taken extremely late in drafts, right? And if you watch Jalen Hurts, he's targeting the tight end a ton. Zach Ertz obviously had a terrible drop in that game, uh, but still he was being targeted. So um Dallas Goddard definitely has more upside than Zach Ertz, but these guys are being drafted like nine rounds apart. <laughs> yeah, and 
I still do like Dallas Goddard. Not, I don't know if I necessarily want to take him in that seventh round where he's going, but I do have respect for Dallas Goddard as a top seven tight end because, as we mentioned before with tight ends, it's not hard to be a top five, top six, top seven tight end. It really isn't. You just need – basically just need over 10 points per game. Um, with Zach Ertz there, it's definitely going to be harder for Goddard to achieve that. But at the same time, with Smith already hurt, Goddard really is the best weapon on this offense. And we saw Jalen Hurts, how he loved to target his tight ends. So I, I'm still taking a chance on Goddard uh, this year. I'm not giving up hope if Zach Ertz is there. But what I will say is, I mean, did you see how many trades went down today? Like how many random trades, like Isaac Yadam for Josh Jackson, uh, one, Greg Little from the Panthers got traded to another team. I believe there was like another couple of trades in there as well. Yep. This is the first roster cut down. And this is going from like 90 something to like 80 something players. Yeah. In a few weeks, they're going to have to go all the way down to 53. So I think there's still a ton of opportunity for a guy like Zach Ertz to be traded, uh, especially, you know, as, as roster cuts keep going. So I just want to keep that in mind. And even if he doesn't get traded now, there's always that chance before the trade line, middle, the trade deadline in the middle of the season that Zach Ertz moves on. So yeah, I, we'll see how this goes. There's still hope that Dallas Goddard can be a top 10, you know, top seven tight end, even with Ertz there. And there's still very much hope that Ertz can be traded. So neither of yeah, those we, are a lost cause. Right, for sure. But we, I mean, we are in draft season right now. And, you know, we have to be wary on drafting Dallas Goddard. Absolutely. Just, you know, um, and we also have to be wary that, you know, it's possible that Zach Ertz is still there, that God is going to be up and down, right? It, it might not be too consistent for him. And if, you, if you're drafting somebody in the seventh round and you're passing up on all those wide receivers, you're passing up on a potential Chase Edmonds or, you know, all these wide receivers around that spot, um, you, you might be a little bit disappointed. Um, another tight end, Cole Komet, um, was, you know, had a very encouraging uh, week one, right? Um, he was playing, he was on the field for every single one of Andy Dalton's snaps, uh, with the first team. Um, obviously you wanted to see what was, you know, what his playing time was going to be like since Jimmy Graham was still on the bears. Right. But Jimmy Graham was coming in, uh, only on, in 12 personnel, only on tight two tight end sets. Um, so it's very encouraging for Cole Komet and Cole Komet was running, ran a drop back on every single one of Andy Dalton's throws with the first team. So that right there is extremely encouraging usage. And Cole Komet is now like squarely on my late round tight end radar. He, he was always on my radar, uh, but I was not drafting him anywhere because I didn't have, you know, any sort of information to go off of. And I wanted to see if it was going to be a true rotation between him and Jimmy Graham. And obviously Komet came through, uh, you know, he, he, his playing time went up late last season. Uh, but going into this year, I really wanted to see how they're going to use these guys. So, you know, anything above like a 75%, you know, route participation, in this case, Cole Komet had a 100% route participation, uh, but anything above a 75% on a per game basis, um, you're almost guaranteed to be like a top eight tight end. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Cole Komet as somebody that I'll be, I'll be looking at to draft late um, because he's, he's really not on that many people's radar in a 12 team PPR. So Jimmy Graham, I'm looking at it now. Uh, he, he's on the second year of a $16 million deal, uh, two-year two $16 million deal, uh, $6 million sinus, signing bonus, which is gone. He had a $3 million base salary for 2020, uh, and he's got a 
um, base salary cap this year. None of that guaranteed. So they really could cut Jimmy Graham before that top 53, save a ton of money. It's in the realm of possibilities. If he does stay on the team, um, Cole Komet's not really someone I'm considering just because the amount of targets that he would need to be relevant. Jimmy Graham's going to do his thing in the red zone as he did last year, even if he's not involved on every down like he was last year. So that's my concern with Komet. I'm more so in on Cole Komet in 2023 or 2022, rather. You know, Allen Robinson potentially gone. Uh, Fields going to year two. Jimmy Graham gone at that point. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot riding on Cole Komet. I think this is very encouraging for his future value as well. So, Dynasty, if I have Cole Komet, I'm happy with his week one preseason. It shows that they believe in him as this potential tight end one. Uh, As of right now in redraft, I'm still going to be staying away from him on the most part, unless I want a really high upside tight end and I can get him like the 16th round. But uh, for me, I'd rather take other guys right now. Okay. Um, the, the good thing about, so I, I want to talk about rap participation real quick when it comes to tight ends. If you look at the top like eight to 10 tight ends last year, um, or, you know, in, and year after year, one constant trend is rap participation being above 80% or so. Um, and when you, when you see a tight end, not run as many routes, for example, like, uh, Robert Tunyon, um, you know, he didn't have a high route participation, right? But he was extremely efficient, right? These type yeah. of seasons don't come along too often. Now, usually with these tight ends, it, you know, if they're running a route uh, on a high percentage of when the quarterback drops back, um, usually these type of tight ends are the ones that are are, uh, are are the ones scoring fantasy points. So that 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 is one stat for tight ends that I would definitely look at, you know, if you're trying to figure out like whether a tight end is going to do his thing or not. Um, obviously, you know, you can depend on touchdowns if you want, right, for tight ends. But at sure. the same time, it's like, you know, I'd rather get somebody who's running around. Like, for example, like if, if you look in Washington, right, you have a tight end there who's like running a route his route participation, been, route participation is ridiculous, right? It's like, it was like 85% last year. Uh, this year is going to be something very similar. They just gave him a, a big deal. So you want to, you know, that's somebody that, you know, that's some, Logan Thomas is somebody that you want to look at and say like, okay, like even if you're drafting him in the you know eighth round or so, it's okay because you know that he's going to be in, in, involved in every single play despite the number uh, of targets that are, you know, in Washington. Right. And when you compare the number of targets in Washington to the compare the number of targets in the to the Bears, you actually have more weapons in Washington than you do in Chicago. So I can totally see Cole Komet, you know, coming out and having a top top tight end season season this year. Um, you know, whether Justin Fields starts, whether Andy Dalton starts, because the pecking order is Allen Robinson. And then after that, it could be probably Darnell Mooney. Probably but. Darnell Mooney. Probably. And then after that, what do you have? Right? Um, so that's about it. So it, it's, a tight end can easily emerge in this passing offense. Um, so that, you know, that when you look at the uh, potential vacancy there, you know, this, this can add up. And Cole Komet is somebody that has the athletic profile of somebody who, you know, can break out at some point. Somebody I'll be looking at. But in, in, in Dynasty... Uh, the fact that he's running, having that repetition pace and potentially this year, uh, he's somebody that should be that should be considered in redraft. You know, whether you don't draft him, um, that's fine. Um, but he's definitely somebody that should be looked at, you know, in terms of picking up on waivers at some point, um, whether that's after week one, week two, or whatever the case may be. Just pay attention to that rap participation. Um, another tight end, Donald Parham, 
someone to pay attention to. Uh, he's running behind Jared Cook in camp, but the Chargers are playing a lot of two tight end sets, apparently. And, and, and But they're letting him run off the line as well. So it's clear to beat reporters that he's going to be very involved in the pass game, uh, and he's one of Herbert's favorite targets. Uh, I'm not drafting him, right? Like, I, I like, uh, like, for example, if I had to compare him and Komet, I like Komet just because of the fact that he has no competition there. Uh, but between the two, you know, if you look at Donald Parham and uh, in that offense, that passing offense is probably going to be more explosive. Um, but he's somebody that I'll be paying attention to in terms of if I'm trying to stream tight ends, that sort of thing. He, he's, he's likely going to be a, on a lot of uh, tight end streaming waiver wire articles uh, this season. So here's the thing, right? Like you don't have to draft him this year because of the fact that he's going undrafted in virtually every single league. I mean, his ADP is nothing because he's never being drafted. So the upside of him being the new Hunter Henry for this offense could put him at a top 10 upside, which is why for me, like if I want a high upside tight end in the 16th round, I'm fine with taking him, but you can easily get him off waivers as well. So I don't know where I'm going with this, but up to you guys where you want to draft him. Uh, Josh Palmer also had seven targets last game. Interesting to see uh, his involvement there. I think that's pretty encouraging. And, you know, they spent a third-round pick on this guy, so I want to see if he has a chance to beat out Mike Williams for that wide receiver too, especially with all the injuries Williams has had. And, you know, they have other guys like Tyron Johnson um, and Jalen Guyton who have been used in the past. But uh, it's encouraging to see the work that Palmer got. Yeah, it seems like right now Palmer and Jalen Guyton are fighting for that wide receiver three spot. Um, you saw that they were kind of interchangeable. You know, even when when the first team came off the field, they were kind of uh, still in there with the second team. Um, I don't think Mike Williams, if he was, he was, you know, if if he was active, he would be playing. Um, you yeah. know, in in with the second team. So I think they are fighting for that for, for that third team spot. Um, uh, I'm sorry, that, that wide receiver three role. The, the thing, like the interesting thing here is that, you know, them hearing, them playing a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of two tight end sense is interesting as well, because you're like, okay, well, besides Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you know, how much are these guys going to be end up rotating in, right, this year, you know, with the change of offensive corner? And it doesn't make sense, right, uh, with the court, with, 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 you know, that system coming in from New Orleans, right? Um, there isn't a ton of three wide receiver sets. There are some, uh, you know, there are a lot of two tight end sets coming in. Um, so that that does make a lot of sense. But I, I'm personally not interested in anybody in redraft, um, uh, you know, behind uh, these top two wide receivers um, and these tight ends. Um, now, the Panthers, um, they, they, if you watch Chuba Hubbard, like he had this one run that was pretty crazy. Like he ran into the, the off, he ran into like a brick wall. And then out of nowhere, he just emerged and had like a 50-yard run. Um, now, looking past that, the Panthers were comfortable leaving Chuba Harbert in there for an almost every down roll with Christian McCaffrey out for this game. Um, 90% of snaps with the starting offense, including passing downs, long down and distance, two minutes, two-minute drills. He's shaping up to be, you know, a top handcuff, you know, purely based on potential role if Christian McCaffrey were to go down again, we saw what they did with Mike Davis last year, right. Um, in terms of role, right. And that role definitely mm -hmm. elevated him to be that RB one. Um, so I can totally see Chuba Hubbard, you know, uh, be, be that guy. Now, you know, not all their running backs were active in this game, but at the same time, 
it, the fact that the Panthers were comfortable leaving in leaving him in there for almost a whole half of football with 90% of snaps with that first team, um, that that kind of, that tells me a lot, right? That tells me that if Christian McCaffrey were to ever go down, Tuba Hubbard is worth spending all your fab on. Yeah, and I think, you know, based on volume alone, like you said, Chuba is definitely worth that kind of pick. Uh, the only thing I was surprised about with Chuba was that, you know, he, he was being touted as one of the faster players coming out of college. Uh, he, he was being touted as like a really quick top, you know, got that amazing top speed. And uh, he looked kind of slow on that play. Like he, he, he did break free from the line, but when the DBs were pretty easily able to catch up to him and take, well, him you down. know what? It, it's funny because he didn't have that speed in college last year either. Like it was really 2019 yeah. when he had that big year where he was just flying by everybody. And even, la- even last year, was for him. yeah, even last year, he didn't have that top end speed right in college, and which is why he wasn't drafted high. Like if he came out, you know, if he was able to come out the year prior, he could have been a top pick at running back right in the NFL draft. But it, you know, that wasn't, that obviously wasn't the case. And you know, that, that, that speed, he just doesn't have it anymore. Uh, but at the same time, you know, as far as the role goes on the Panthers, he seems like he's a top handcuff. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now uh, let's move on to the Colts. Um, as far as these Colts wide receivers go, you know, it's interesting that, that Paris Campbell played in this game, uh, but T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, Zach Pascal did not, right? It is possible that Pascal is actually ahead of him on the depth chart, uh, given the fact that Pascal didn't play, you know, even though he's presumed healthy. And on the unofficial depth chart, he was listed ahead of Paris Campbell uh, as a slot, slot receiver. Um, so, so that tells you what you need to know there. So if you're looking at Paris Campbell at all as like a sleeper pick, I get it. Um, you know, but at the same time, you have to be careful that he's he won't be a rotational player. Right. He did make a big play in this game. Uh, he looked good. He was able to get some separation. Uh, but, you know, there's is this does seem a little bit crowded to me in terms of wide receivers. Obviously, I'm talking about when Carson Wentz gets back. Right. Whenever that is. Hmm. Um, who, I'm assuming let's say he gets back earlier than we think, you know, week four or something like that. Um, and, you know, some of these wide receivers are going to be healthy. But it does seem like Michael Pittman is that number one. Why, you know, outside of like T.Y. Hilton, you know, if he, he's getting those targets, but Michael Pittman seems to be the guy to target uh, if you're targeting any of these wide receivers. Um, I also, you know, you also got to pay attention in dynasty, in deep dynasty leagues, uh, Michael, Michael Strachan. Strachan. I knew it. I knew it. Michael Strachan. Is that, Strachan. Is, is that how you say it? I don't even yeah, know. I have no idea. Strachan uh, uh, listen, if you're, if you're, if you're searching for him on your platform, it's uh, his last name is spelled S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. Okay. Um, He's simply, you know, beat reporters are calling him the MVP of Colts camp. Um, and uh, he played the most snaps of any wide receiver with the first team. And he was making plays uh, in this game. Obviously, I, I mentioned all the wide receivers who didn't play. Um, but that, that that tells you something. That tells you that he's able to to hold it down. Another deep dynasty guy who might be available, uh, Donald Pe- Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, he's killing it in camp. And, and it looks like uh, he's actually competing with Rashard Higgins to, you know, for that number three job behind OBJ and Landry. Um, now, what's interesting in this game, in the first preseason game, he was taken out of the game before Higgins was, right? Which I think it might indicate that he impressed enough, you know, that he impressed the coaching staff enough that they didn't see, they didn't need to see no more of him, 
right? And and like striking that was the MVP of Colt, MVP of Colts camp. This guy, beat reporters are talking about him as the MVP uh, of of the Browns camp. Um, last year, he was second among all rookie wide receivers with at least twenty routes in yards per route run, only behind Justin Jefferson and in the entire NFL. He was 10th overall in yards per route run, obviously on a small sample size, uh, but that does say something about his ability and the fact that he's killing it in camp now. Um, if he, Now, they run a lot of 12 personnel, right? So if either OBJ or Jarvis Landry uh, end up going down, that's the only way that I see him being relevant at all. And if I'm going to pick any of these wide receivers behind OBJ and Landry, he would be that guy that I will be picking up off of waivers if anything were to happen to these guys. But if you're in a deep dynasty league and he's not, he's available for whatever reason, I'll pick him up. I'll even send a low ball trade offer for him right now. I really would. Okay. Um, moving on um, to the jets. Now, Corey Davis's stock uh, should be on the rise after week one of the preseason. Uh, he showed clear rapport with Zach Wilson uh, Davis played on nine snaps before leaving uh, and was targeted on all four of his routes. So he ran four routes. He was targeted four times by Zach Wilson. And he's being drafted as the wide receiver 53. Uh, and I'll be looking to draft him well ahead of that, to be honest with you. You know, as soon as guys like Jerry Judy and AB are off the board, um, listen, Elijah Moore is right there with him for me. Uh, Moore didn't play in this game. Uh, I do think Moore has higher upside than Davis. So, but both are on my target list. Uh, Moore is being drafted as the wide receiver 56. Uh, but I think that there is a world where he, he, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Corey Davis led the Jets in targets. Uh, but Elijah Moore is just that a more exciting player, a more dynamic player, um, better separator between the two. But it is possible that because Corey Davis is that veteran um, and, you know, Zach Wilson is that rookie, that he depends on the veteran a little bit more. Remember, Corey Davis... You know, he was, I think, second in yards per route run. No, he was like third in yards per route run last year. Um, you know, uh, he was right alongside A.J. Brown in terms of targets. Um, so, you know, he, he's in a situation where the Jets signed him to a big deal. And, you know, if he's if he pays off as their, you know, uh, signed wide receiver one, I can totally see that in year one with the team. Yeah, dude. And look. Cordius, uh, one of those guys who I've been talking about is like, you know, he had a big year last year, but before that, really, what was he? It's just going to boil down to his role in the team, his chemistry with Zach Wilson, uh, how involved Elijah Moore is going to be as a rookie. And I feel like we both think Elijah Moore is going to be pretty involved. Uh, both these guys are values, though. I mean, I'm surprised to hear they're both, you know, being drafted as the wide receiver 50, whatever, because I have both guys within my top 40. So yeah. uh, there, there is a world. I mean, look, outside of these two guys, who else is in New York? You got Denzel Mims, Jameson Crowder, all kind of fighting for targets. Uh, you know, Chris Herndon is not going to get involved. There's no one in that running back room that really screams that they need targets. They still have a lackluster defense and they might be put in situations where they have to pass the ball a lot. There's room. There's a possibility Corey Davis and Elijah Moore are both top 30 wide receivers. Yeah. And they're both being drafted outside the top 50 in terms of their respective positions. So both these guys are values right now. Yeah. Um, Michael Carter's usage, though, with the first team was a little bit concerning. I, I spoke about Ty Johnson, uh, you know, uh, several weeks back, potentially, you know, being something similar to their Raheem Mostert. And that's what it seemed like this weekend. Um, Johnson played 13 snaps to Carter's nine. And Johnson was the one on the field in passing situations and third downs. 
Now, if Carter doesn't get that clear passing role, I'm not sure he's going to be that PPR RB2 we all hoped he can be. Um, I'm currently, like this week, I'm avoiding Carter in drafts until I see more in preseason two. So, uh, you know, I'm taking that last round shot on Ty Johnson um, because he can also be the goal line guy. Like if he ends up being the 1A on this offense, you know, we know that Michael Carter or we, you know, it was most likely that Michael Carter was not going to be the goal line guy, right, in this offense. So you were kind of depending on him to be, you know, get a, a, have a big role in the passing game. Now, you know, we all through training camp, you know, we're hearing that Michael Carter ha- has a clear separation. That, that was Connor Hughes' point of view, right? He, he's one of their most popular beat reporters. But, you know, he was really one of the only ones touting Michael Carter like that, right? And, you know, if he is playing second fiddle as of right now, obviously he does not profile as a workhorse back. He does not profile as a goal line guy. Even though I'm a fan of Michael Carter, I, I understand what the reality can be, right? And Ty Johnson, right now, he's the 1A. Now, Tevin Coleman... uh was uh in a, was not playing in this game for personal reasons uh what role he will play who knows uh he would have to jump to the 1a to be relevant here right so i don't think that's going to be the case so ty johnson was somebody that i was looking at a couple weeks ago in terms of like last pick sure you know he could be lead the backfield but we'll see we'll see how that works out but mm-hmm. as of right now and michael carter's price i think michael carter's what being drafted around the six seven turn yeah, is, is that he's around right? that point. He, he's yes. been going up a little bit lately. I think he's more in the sixth, yeah. but around right, the right. So at, at that price, like I just, I think I have to avoid. Um, in, in a draft I did last night, I actually took Damian Harris over Michael Carter, um, because I, I'm more, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, more certain that Damian Harris is going to be that that one A than I am about Michael Carter, unfortunately. So, and then you know, Todd Johnson was somebody who is on my radar, you know, with my last pick of the draft, right. What do you what do you think about this Jets backfield? Do you think there's, a, there's there, there is there can become a point in the season where Michael Carter becomes more valuable, and, and and do you think that his price right now is worth it? Um, my concern with Michael Carter, which has really stopped me from labeling him as this like sleeper, has been them taking the Shanahan system to a T, to where as good as Michael Carter is. They're going to use other backs no matter what. Uh, obviously, I, I don't think anybody's expecting Michael Carter to be a full-blown 20-plus touches a game workhorse. That's not who he is. But I, I believe they're going to get other guys involved more than we'd like. You know, this is going to be from a 1A, 1B to a 1A, B, C, D, you know, kind of creating recreating that alphabet soup in a different situation, as we've talked about before. So I do like Michael Carter and um, – just picking him in the sixth round ahead of a guy like Damian Harris, who I really like, I really come to like Damian Harris. So uh, I, I don't know if I'd make that move, but I think there is going to be a string of games during the year where Michael Carter racks up, you know, 15, 20 points a game. Uh, he's a great runner, man. He's a great runner. This offensive line may not be ready. This offense may not be ready. So it's going to boil down to his work, to his uh, work as a pass catcher. And if that role belongs to Ty Johnson, then Michael Carter is someone who I'm going to be a little more hesitant on. If that role belongs to Tevin Coleman, if that role belongs to anybody else but Michael Carter, that's when I'm really going to be hesitant on this offense. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's stick with the same, a similar theme here, and let's move on to the 49ers, um, 49ers backfield, 
um, backfield that you call alphabet soup. It looks like Trey Sermon has surpassed Wayne Gallman on the depth chart. Uh, he saw 10 out of 12 snaps with the first team. Uh, of course, Raheem Moster didn't play, right? Um, Sermon was also in on all the third down opportunities with the first team as well, which means that there is potential workhorse value here if Mostert were to ever get hurt. The other running backs uh, will likely, I don't think they're going to be involved if they were, if that were to happen. Well, as much, right? Um, I, I see a mostly Raheem Mostert backfield to start the year, uh, maybe with Sermon mixed in a little bit. And if Mostert goes down, I think Sermon will have a huge opportunity for a large portion of backfield work, right? Um, so the fact that Gallman only had two snaps out of the out of the twelve, it seems to me that Shanahan uh, trusts Sermon. Now Sermon did put the ball on the ground, which is not a good sign for Sermon at all. Uh, Shanahan did address that, and we'll see if that affects Sermon's uh, you know chances moving forward. Uh, but that is something that you know, we should pay attention to that in camp so far, Sermon Sermon has moved ahead of Gallman. Now, uh, Elijah Mitchell's hurt right now. He he didn't play, uh, but the, Elijah Mitchell was stuck with the third team regardless uh, before he got hurt in camp. So I don't think he was going to be involved, uh, you know, anyway, with that first team. Now, the fact that Mostert, the fact that Mostert didn't play, like that's a great sign for Mostert. Right, like Raheem's, Raheem Mostert's ADP has been dropping, right? And I'm actually, I'd rather take a shot on Raheem Mostert in at the six, seven turn than Michael Carter, right? Because Raheem Mostert is somebody who is, is the clear 1A going into the season. Um, and the fact that he didn't play, and there's a lot of tea leaves adding up that the, the team is behind Raheem Mostert as their starter. Um, so if if you need a running back, Depth. If you need some running back depth late, um, I'm totally fine fine taking Raheem Mostert. But you have to understand that Raheem Mostert is not the definition of a healthy back. He's somebody that you're going to likely have to replace midseason. Um, but he's somebody that you can likely help you uh, early on in the year. But you have to make sure that you're good at you know picking up picking up guys off of waivers. You have to be good at having running back depth, and you have to be good about making trades. Um, but as long as you're confident that you'll be able to make moves later on. Um, I'm perfectly fine making that move if you have to. Uh, I don't know. You, you know me in this 49ers backfield. I, I just can't get behind that. I understand. Dude, look, I mean, Trey Sermon, yeah, he, he came in and he was playing with the first team offense. And what did he do? He had 2.9 yards per carry and he fumbled. Uh, he, he had some targets in the passing game. He didn't look bad in that aspect. But overall, the amount of targets that each running back gets in this backfield is not going to be enough for him to um, be relevant off of that. I understand Moster is the 1A here. But look, that's going to change in a game-to-game basis. If you're drafting him in the sixth, seventh round, you're drafting him on our bench. So unless a guy gets hurt, then do you even feel comfortable starting Raheem Moster this week, knowing he could either have a game or not, depending on other guys, depending on his health? depending on when uh, Jeff Wilson comes back and how involved he might be. So for me, it's like, I, I, I almost feel like Raheem Moster was kind of a waste of a pick because in that sixth, seventh turn, if you don't start him within those first couple of weeks and then he not only gets hurt or if Jeff Wilson comes back, he's just kind of, as an asset, he seems like someone who's only going to go down, right? He so the like- only way that I would draft him is if you need an RB2. 
if you need an RB2, he's the only guy that you – he's one of the only guys over you can Over Damian Harris and over Michael Carter? Over Michael Carter for sure because Michael Carter, I don't think he's going to be the 1A, right? Raheem Mostert is going to be that guy, right, in the first few weeks. Damian Harris, sure. But what if Cam is starting? How many goal line opportunities is he going to get? But I'd still take Damian Harris, who's going to get 15, 20 carries a game, even with Cam there, over a guy like 15, Mostert. 20, be- I, think, I think 15 to 20 carries a game um, is a little bit of a stretch for Damian Harris. I mean, he, he was what, getting that a lot last year, and that was in his second year with Sony Michelle being the presumed starter in week one. Okay, so 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 let's look at let's look at Damian Harris's game log from last year. Um, he had, uh, we can look at his game log. Let's say from week I don't know. Let's say starting week eight, right when he had sixteen carries. So here here's what his game log looked like: sixteen carries, fourteen carries, 22, 11, 14, 16, and eleven. That's not. I bad. mean. Well, it's definitely not, it's, it's, it's not fifteen twenty, <laughs> right? I mean that that's that's not great, right? I mean I, I'm only going. Let's start that sixteen carry game. I mean he's averaging 15, 15 carries a game, right? And he's averaging less than a target a game, right? Like that's not something that you know I, I would want to have. I'd rather have Raheem Mostert with a very similar amount of volume on that 49ers offense, right? And and with a goal line role, right? We'll see. Um, we'll see. And we'll somebody see. who's more dynamic. Right, like that's that's where I'd rather have. Also, you're likely going to be able to get Damian Harris a little bit later too. Which for me is I have Damian Harris way higher than Mostert, so I'll never be in a position where I'm taking Raheem Mostert over him. Yeah, no, I can see that. No, I can see that. I mean, the fact that I mean, I I'm higher on Raheem Mostert uh, today than I was a week ago uh, because because of the fact that he didn't play in this first preseason game. That to me uh, tells me a lot, and the fact that he wasn't hurt and they held him out. Um, that tells me a lot about about who they plan on being the one A going into the season. Um, and you know, I, I I do think that there is some workhorse potential at some point. You know, that's why I think Trey Sermon, you know, at his price, you know, it, it's not it's not great to be honest with you, but it's something that we need to be paying attention needs to be paid attention to because you know if you know Trey Sermon was ever dropped during the season, let's say somebody else in your in your league picked him up. Right. And he wasn't doing anything for the first three, four weeks. He can easily be dropped. Right. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, I don't. And then, you know, Raheem Mostert gets hurt week four. And then you're like, okay, now how much fab do I end up spending on Trey Sermon? I think the upside, there is some upside that Trey Sermon ends up being somewhat of a workhorse, right? Playing 65% of snaps, 70% of snaps or so, you know, potentially getting some third down looks as well if Raheem Mostert were to go down. Now, it's happened before. Shanahan has used workhorse backs in the past. You know, he doesn't always use every single back on the roster. Um, but unfortunately, with Raheem Mostert's health and a lot of other running backs' health, he really didn't have any choice. Um, so, yeah, I'm not like this huge Raheem Mostert guy, but I'm okay taking him, you know, if you're desperate. You, if you're def- desperate for a running back. And we definitely can get desperate for, any, for running backs once the, you know, after the first several rounds. Okay, uh, let's move on. Let's move on to Trey Lance. Um, he looked good, man. Um, his receivers dropped some balls, uh, but he's going to start at some point. Uh, could even be week one, um, but he's going to be a fantasy stud, right? He has the legs. He sh- he's dynamic, right? That 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 throw to, to Sherfield was was awesome, right? And like 
it just looks like in that offense, he's just going to be set up for success, man. Shanahan's going to put him in, in the right spot. Um, and obviously he, he made a couple of mistakes, right? He, he, you know, he, there was a couple of interceptions that were dropped as well. Uh, but at the same time, you, you, you got to look at what he's able to do. Uh, Jameis Winston also throws a lot of interceptions and, you know, he's able to you know, be one of the top fantasy quarterbacks from a couple of years ago. It's really about the plays that you're able to make. It's about the, the rushing ability and it's about, about the touchdowns, about the big play ability uh, and the fact that he's behind a great offensive line as well with the weapons. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Trey Lance. And I've mentioned before, just the innate ability to make good decisions and uh, put the ball in the right place. And his legs as well is just a great combination. On top of the fact that he's got an amazing offensive line, great weapons, and, you know, he's got everything at his disposal that he needs. So, um, yeah, I'm all in on Trey Lance. Another quarterback who looked really good was Tua. Tua Tags. Um, now this offense, they, they talked about, you know, focusing on throwing the ball downfield and that's exactly what he did, dude. Like he was throwing the ball downfield a lot in this game. Um, and, and he has weapons. Now let's say, let's assume that they stay healthy. That's a big if, right. The guys that we're talking about here, right. We're talking about Will Fuller. We're talking about Devontae Parker. We're talking about uh, Jalen Waddle, right. Um, Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle, by the way, playing in the slot a ton. Who knows what actually happens when, you know, guys like Will Fuller's on the field, you know, wh- whether he gets pushed outside or not, w- we don't know. Um, but the fact that he he did, by the way, uh, him being in the slot might hurt Mike Kosicki just a little bit just because yeah. uh, he did outsnap Kosicki a ton in the slot. Uh, but Tua has weapons, dude. Um, and uh, I think he has some upside. Like the way that he looked, like he looked completely different to me in this game. Um, and he's looking confident. And B reporters are saying that he looked he looks really good in camp, and uh, he's going late number one, and he's gonna he's not losing his job, right? Like if you if you want guys like who you're trying to get late into quarterback leagues or whatever the case may be, he's not losing his job this year. So he's somebody that you could take a shot on uh, late in drafts if you need to. Like I honestly think that he has you know upside. You know like who do you think has more upside this year, Joe Burrow or two attacks? Burrow just because of the established weapons that he has and the offense that they ran last year with the amount of passing. Um, but upside as a prospect, I mean, Tua was being talked about as one of the best quarterbacks to be drafted over the last couple of years. So if he hits his ceiling as a player, then I, I would say in that regard, Tua. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and he's somebody that, you know, we nobody's talking about right because we're all talking sure. about Trey Lance, we're talking about Justin Fields, we're talking about Burrow, we're talking about Trevor Lawrence, and you know he's one of those young quarterbacks who could potentially do some damage, right? Um, you know J- Jalen Hurts obviously isn't the type of prospect that he is, but Jalen Hurts we know is going to depend on his legs a ton, right? Which is why we're drafting him where we are. Um, but Tua, you know, is somebody that I was not high on coming into this year, um, but with all the positives around him and the fact that how they're using him and what they're focusing on this offense and his weapons and things are, it seems like things are adding up. If he can take a step forward this year, that Dolphins offense is going to be legit for real. Okay. Now, Miles Gaskin, that backfield, it was not encouraging for him at all. Um, Malcolm Brown started each of the three drives with the starters. Uh, Gaskin just came in here and there. Brown played 16 snaps. Gaskin played seven. Uh, Brown played on the two third down snaps that they had and the two snaps that they had inside the five yard line. Um, and then he stayed and, and then Gaskin stayed on the field when the second team came on. 
but you don't want your guy who you expect to be the starter to stay on the field with the second team. Remember, Chan Gailey's gone, right? Different offensive coordinator, different year. Malcolm Brown, you know, he's not going to wow you. And he, I don't know if he's wowing these coaches. He probably is, but he looks like he's the guy right now. He looks like he's the starter right now. Um, and I'm not excited to draft him at all. But if you desperately need running back depth late, sure, I'm not drafting him. But at Miles Gaston's price right now, in that fifth round, I'm not touching him, dude. Yeah, I, I get that sense too. And uh, Savon Ahmed actually had a pretty decent game. Obviously, he wasn't playing with the first team, but um, undrafted free agent last year, he filled in pretty well when uh, Miles Gaskin got hurt. I mean, in this game, he had 40 yards on the ground. He had a touchdown catch. So for, for me, I, I don't think Miles Gaskin is anything concrete this year. And I think um, you know, Malcolm Brown having a type of role, just kind of being the veteran. I could see this being like the Rams backfield last year. I mean, Malcolm Brown playing his role, Daryl Henderson being a guy like, uh, you know, like Miles Gaskin being that Daryl Henderson high upside uh, pass catching role. And then Ahmed kind of playing that Cam Akers role early on where he was that ground and pound type guy and he'd filter in on occasion. So there's a chance that's what this offense looks like. And uh, in that respect, I think any of these three guys have a chance to take the lead and become the main guy there. That being said, I don't think Malcolm Brown is going to do any better. You know, I, I feel like as a prospect and as a player, we've kind of seen the most of Malcolm Brown, as opposed to Miles Gaskin and Savan Ahmed, who could end up making a name for themselves and be the lead in this backfield. So Ahmed is also someone I'm keeping my eye on if he sees an expanded role or if he gets more opportunities with the first team in this offense. Uh, I, I think he could be someone to look after as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, now, another running back who, you know, where a lot of us are drafting relatively early, rookie running back, Javante Williams. Um, he looked great, dude. Like, he looked great yeah. when, when, when he got his opportunity in this game. Um, and, and even, but the thing is like, even with Melvin Gordon out and Mike Boone out, uh, he still rotated with Royce Freeman with the first team, uh, Drew Locke played 17 snaps, Javante, Javante was in for 10 of them. And then Freeman was in for the other seven and they were using, you know, they were being used interchangeably. Um, you know, Royce Freeman was the guy coming in on, on passing downs and, uh, long down distance Royce Freeman was on, was the guy on the field. Um, I'm not drafting Javante at his ADP, like even though I love him as a player, um, but it's going to take a Gordon injury uh, for him to be the guy. Um, and, and even with a Gordon injury, it seems like Javante won't be like a bell cow type of guy um, as of right now. At least he doesn't have that skill set or at least he doesn't have the coach's trust, at least not yet. Right. Because they don't want to get Drew Locke killed right out there. Pass protection, that sort of thing um, in the passing game. Obviously, you know, Javante can catch, but like, you know, we've seen this all the time in the NFL where guys, you know, have their fair share of catches in the, in the, in the, in the, in college and they come in and they're not necessarily trusted in that department. Uh, we definitely know that he's a great, really good runner and a violent runner, uh, but it's very possible that he gets uh, pigeonholed into an early down role, which, which, is, which would be fine for him, but it's just about, you know, managing expectations when it comes to Javante Williams and his price this year. Yeah. And I think, I, I like what you said, because even if Javante Williams somehow established himself as the 1A in this offense, um, I, I don't see a situation where Melvin Gordon kind of just goes away and this becomes a bell gal role for Javante Williams. Um, Gordon is a great pass catcher. 
And if anything, that's where he's going to be um, on, on the field or in this game plan. And like you said, Royce Freeman, maybe he becomes the 1B if Melvin Gordon gets hurt or suspended or whatever the deal is. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely – I'm erring on the side of caution with Javante as well, but I think he's still worth that fifth, sixth-round pick just because of the upside of him as a runner uh, in this offense. What do you think about trading for him? Like, you know, letting someone else draft him, right, and potentially trading for him. You know, uh, you know, obviously not when a Melvin Gordon injury happens – you know, but, you know, after several weeks of the season, like if Melvin Gordon isn't doing so well, maybe, uh, and there's a situation where there's an opportunity to kind of get him, you know, pre, you know, before, you know, kind of post hype, right? Like before he actually gets something done, right? And obviously somebody invested like a fifth round pick in him, but mm-hmm. they're not getting the return. And they can easily use somebody in their lineup when they can't necessarily use Javante every single week. Do you think that he could be, instead of drafting him, he could be a potential trade target, you know, several weeks into the season? Yeah, I think he could. And the way I would approach that is I would kind of just see uh, who drafted him and what their expectations were. So if a buddy of mine drafts him in the early fifth round, he's like, oh, he's going to kill it. And then it's seven weeks in and they're kind of frustrated with the way it's going. I'll say, hey, you know, let me take Javante off your hands. But if it's someone like us, who's kind of like, a, okay, draft him in the late fifth, early sixth, sit and wait, you know, see what he kind of turns into. Um, uh, obviously, it's going to be a little tougher to get him. But yeah, I'll, I'll let someone else grab him. And if the opportunity presents itself and the situation is right, then I'll trade for him and take a chance on him. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, another potential, you know, three-headed backfield. Now, when Urban Meyer was talking about having all three of his running backs involved, it doesn't look like he was playing, right? Trevor Lawrence played 15 snaps, uh, obviously, with the first team. And, and all three running backs did have their opportunity with the first team. Uh, James Robinson had seven snaps. Travis Etienne had five. And Carlos Hyde had three. Now, when we talk about Etienne as that slash guy, right, as that slash weapon uh, in this Urban Meyer offense, like, I don't think, you know, Urban Meyer would want to unleash that role in the preseason and show everybody, like, hey, this is how we're going to use him. Right. Um, even though he would probably want to get ETM playing against, you know, playing that role against, you know, good competition so that he knows what to expect. I, but that's forget about that for a second. But, you know, but what he's doing with these backs uh, is not out of the realm of possibilities. Right. I do think it's very possible that James Robinson is involved um, and it's possible that he's the goal line guy. Um, I'm not comfortable drafting etn like super high uh because he does present some risk and he also provides upside though right if he truly is going to be used as that slash player because that slash player has historically had a ton of production right um i'm okay taking him in the sixth round or so at the highest you know which means that etn interesting at the high at the highest right uh which means the latest or no, he is the early, that's the earliest I would ever take him, Interesting. which which means which means I'm not going to get much of him, um, which which means I'm probably not going to be getting him in too many drafts, um, you know all that all that being said like the way he they use the backs like bringing one in after the other the way they did it I don't think that's how they're going to be used in week one of the regular season, but it's worth noting because all three of these backs can be involved. You don't just play all three backs with the first team. For no reason, right? If anything, 
just play James Robinson and play Travis Etienne. Why are you bringing Carlos Hyde into the mix? Like, what's the point? 16 snaps with Trevor Lawrence, and you're going to bring in all three backs. Uh, it's just interesting to me, and the fact that it aligns with also it also aligns with what he said, and the fact that Hyde played for him before. Remember, he, he this is the same guy that brought Tim Tebow in, <laughs> right? So like, you know, it's just to me like it, it's it's something that. You know, I think ETN just presents risk. And for me, like, I, I, listen, if I miss out on ETN this year, I, I, I totally get it. And I understand why, uh, because I'm somebody who needs to see it. I'm somebody who who needs to understand, like, exactly what that role is going to be. But when I see something like this, I, I don't think I could pass on a lot of these wide receivers in the fifth round, fourth, fifth, sixth round uh, to get ETN, even if I, you know, like I'm only looking at ETN there if I desperately need a running back, if I need some like an RB three, right? Um, I definitely will n- cannot trust him as my RB two. That's for sure. Um, but I, this is a situation where like I got to see what they do in preseason week two. I got to see him a little bit more involved. I just don't know if ETN is going to have the floor um, that I need for somebody being drafted in the sixth round. Now I know you love ETN, so I really yeah. want to hear your thoughts. Does this concern you at all? Does it concern you a little bit or are you just, are you just thinking that ETN is going to play that slash role and absolutely kill it this year? So I would describe my mood as intrigued, right? So with this first preseason game, I, I don't want to overreact to one game. I don't want to overreact to a couple drives. I want to see if this becomes a trend. Um, and even so, I think when it comes to early, when it comes to passing downs, I, I think ETN is still going to be the guy in this backfield and he's going to learn more and more and come into that role. If anything, I think what this says is ETN might have a little bit of a slower start, but I think once we get to halfway through the year, towards the end of the year, he can be as high as like a, the running back 10 in that stretch and like PPR. I think he's really got that type of upside. So as of right now, I'm being a little cautious. I'm going to take him in the fourth round instead of late third. <laughs> but <laughs> you know how I do. But um, again, I don't. I don't want to overreact to this because this is one preseason game. What if next week ETN gets all the snaps with the first team, which is probably not going to happen. But point being, what if he gets like eighty percent of the snaps with the first team, and they just kind of like want to try guys out and see how James Robinson does in this role? See, because I, I I see the first preseason game as yes, you want to see how this offense flows. But it's also experimental, too, because this is the first time a lot of these guys are playing together. This is the first time that Urban Meyer's coaching and, uh, you know, Daryl Bevel calling the plays with Trevor Lawrence under center. So there's a lot of experimentation going on, as well as trying to get early indicators of what this offense is going to look like. So they have three games to kind of test things out, see what works, see what doesn't, move guys around, change roles. And uh, I think as the preseason goes on, we're going to see ETN stepping into more of a role with that first team. Uh, and like we said, he's learning wide receiver. Like he's learning how to be a receiver right now. He's still in the process of doing that. So I think when he's more at that level, he'll see more of these snaps. So to sum up, I'm not overly concerned right now. I am intrigued to see where this goes and if this becomes a trend. But as of right now, um, I'm, I'm, I have ETN in the leagues already. I'm not concerned. If I had ETN in a lot of leagues right, right already, I'll be concerned as hell. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. Let's move on, dude. Um, uh, somebody who I'm not concerned about is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He saw the first 10 snaps with the first team, then he left the field and he was done for the night. That's a great sign. 
Dal Dal Williams had one snap with the first team. That was after Clyde Edwards-Hiller left the field, and then he proceeded to stick on, stick around uh, with with the second team. So that's good news. Uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon did handle some uh, third down work and a two minute offense, um, but that was later on, uh, and not with the first team. So that's what you that's what you want to hear. Clyde Edwards-Hiller shaping up to be a, a pretty good late second, early third round pick. Um, Nicola Hardman. Uh, he didn't play in three wide receiver sets. He did play in all three wide receiver sets. Uh, I'm sorry, he didn't play in two wide receiver sets, but he did play in all three wide receiver sets with the first team in the preseason games. That means that Demarcus Robinson looks like he's still going to have a role uh, to start the year, especially in two wide receiver sets, which kind of sucks. You were hoping that, you know, it would be Tyreek and McColl out there. But at the same time, it's almost like you're going to have two speedsters out there, so I can understand why they're doing that. Uh, but this is, it is interesting to me that they decided to just have – you know, Demarcus Robinson keep doing his thing. Uh, are, are you any interest on on McCall Hardman uh, late? Is he somebody that you're you're taking a shot on late in drafts? Yeah, I'll take a shot on him. You know, at the end of the day, this is a Patrick Mahomes led offense. This is one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. Uh, even last year, I mean, McCall Hardman behind guys like Sammy Watkins, he had a handful of games where, you know, he had like 18 point game here, 22 game here. 22-point game here. He had a couple games over 10 points. Well, overall, boom or bust. But, uh, yeah, you know, if, if he has anything more of a solidified role on this offense, then I think he's 100% worth taking a shot on. Uh, a lot of these sophomore wide receivers from last year, you kind of have to ask yourself, was some of their growth stunted, right? Because a lot of times sophomore wide receivers take that jump. But from going from a rookie year to a year of no offseason – during COVID, you don't really have that much room to grow as a player. Um, so, so yeah, that's just uh, something something to remember for these third-year wide receivers that have another chance to kind of take that sophomore leap that maybe they didn't get a chance to last year. And I'm just saying that's the upside version of McCall Hardman. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying let's give this guy a little more room to grow and not call him you know, a bust or not that you're calling him that, but just say that he's already hit his peak in terms of being a receiver. Yeah, I agree. And apparently there, there are some, there, there has been a lot of rubbling saying that he's actually improved a ton. He's improved yeah. his route running. He's improved his build. He's improved his contested catch ability. Um, so he, he is looking like a different receiver. So it is possible that he, that translates into better production this year. Um, somebody who cannot improve anymore, uh, Marvin Jones, uh, yeah. <laughs> he looked like he had a clear rapport with Trevor Lawrence in this first preseason, preseason game. And it's very possible the rookie leans on the veteran wide receiver who seems to still got it. He was targeted four times by Lawrence. He led the Jaguars in snaps and he caught two contested balls in this game. Now he's the guy I want. He's the guy I want. He's the cheapest guy. Um, and it looks like they had a clear rapport, dude. So, you know, if, if DJ Chark is price. DJ Chark's price is going to stay where it's at in the seventh round or so. Like I am be, going to be all over Marvin Jones late. Um, I just got him in a draft last night in like the 13th round or something like crazy like that. Um, so that's, that's good value because he's a potential wide receiver three. Uh, if he's the guy leading that team in targets, they're going to be throwing the ball a ton. Um, it's very possible that he ends up being that guy. So Marvin Jones, uh, the thing with, the thing with um, LaVisca Chenault is that, He's going to be targeted short a lot. Um, he's going to be targeted near the line of scrimmage. His depth of target is going to be as high, and we know that Marvin Jones is. Marvin Jones is going to be targeted all over the field, which is one of the reasons why I was interested in Shark 
more than Chenault this year. Um, but now that I see that what kind of rapport that Marvin Jones has and the fact that he's playing all the snaps and uh, there's a clear rapport, I love seeing that. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine taking Marvin Jones late uh, and not taking any and not taking any unneeded risk uh, with these other two wide receivers. Yeah, I get that. And then, you know, in the day between DJ Turk and LaVisca, I still have LaVisca in the ninth. But yeah, I mean, Marvin yeah. Jones in the 13th, you can't beat that. And my concern with him was when Marvin Jones kind of take a backseat and have this veteran, you know, leadership role and not be as involved with the offense. But, you know, Daryl Bevel is using his guy from Detroit and he seems like he's going to be a consistent part of this offense. Yeah. Um, now, the fact that Brian Edwards, you know, wide receiver, starting wide receiver on the Raiders didn't play in this game, even though he was healthy, tells you what you need to know, that he's a starting wide receiver for the Raiders because he didn't play, okay, and they, they rested their, the rest of their starters as well. Derek Carr didn't yeah. play, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so like. John Brown did play, by the way. Nathan Peterman, so, the whole game. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> John, Brown, John Brown did play, so that tells you what you need to know about his role. John, Brian Edwards is a guy. He is the, my favorite late-round pick, period. Your favorite? Yeah, he's my favorite. Oh. Regardless of any position, wide receiver, running back, whatever the case may be, he's my favorite last, he's my favorite last pick of drafts. People are, are on to Brian Edwards, so like if you really want him, you got to pick him like maybe a round earlier. Um, oh, but yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to the Chargers real quick. I just want to mention that you know if you're wondering who the guy is between Austin Eckler and you know you know whoever the running back is behind Austin Eckler, uh, it doesn't look like this like clear guy like you know, Justin Jackson. You know he is playing you know right behind Austin Eckler. Josh Kelly was kind of being kind of being in a rotation with him in this game. Uh, but Josh Kelly did stay on to play, um, you know, with the second team while Justin Jackson was taken off the field. So that's, you know, that tells you that Justin Jackson has a little bit of an edge over Josh Kelly. But I was looking to see if there was a clear red zone guy or a goal line guy. Justin Jackson got a carry around the five-yard line. And then I saw him being replaced with Josh Kelly right after that. So it's very possible. Obviously, you know, we're, we're going into the season assuming that Austin Eckler isn't going to get a goal line role. Um, so we, we want to figure out, like, okay, if Justin Jackson going to be that guy, is Josh Kelly going to be that guy? It looks like we might not have an answer. And it, the answer could be both. And that, 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 might, that might be an issue in terms of, you know, depending on any running back behind Austin Eckler. I think it's Austin Eckler or Bust in that backfield. Um, it looks like Xavier Jones is the clear backup to Dale Henderson. Um, he was the guy uh, to start the game for the Rams this past weekend, and he looked good enough to keep that backup role. It does not look like Jake Funk is going to be that dude. Just wanted to mention that. Unless they add a, you know, there's still still yet to be seen if they're going to add a free agent uh, running yes. back, which they could do so after they break their roster down to 53. That way they know who they're going into the season with rather than adding a veteran now. So still very possible a veteran is added, especially as some of these wide receivers get cut. on Johnson is a guy who just got cut. Not that he's a fantastic fit for this offense, but, um, you know, notably so, there's other running backs that can get cut leading up to the start of the year. Jordan Howard, potentially on that list of a guy who can get cut, who can be a compliment to Daryl Henderson in this backfield. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, 
Now, in the Texans, like not an exciting uh, team at all, Philip Lindsay had the, had the early down roll over David Johnson in their first preseason game, surprisingly. Johnson only came in on third downs, and that's a situation to monitor if you were looking at DJ as like a potential late-round starting running back, right? A lot of people were drafting DJ and saying like, okay, cool, like I'm, I'm drafting a guy in like the eighth, ninth round, and he's a starting running back. And he's, he'll potentially have a role, a big role in the passing game. Now, well, you know, if there are other running back, other backs are playing, like who knows whether some of these guys will get work on early downs as well. Like with Philip Lindsay, like we don't know that. But what we what, what it seems like right now is that Lindsay is playing over David Johnson. Like obviously there was a, you know, there was a change. There's a bunch of changes that happened on this team. They signed a bunch mm-hmm. of backs. Mark Ingram was out. Um, so we don't know what this backfield is going to look like but it looks like it's going to be a mess. Like I'm not necessarily like chasing Philip Lindsay because nobody wants the early down running back on this team. if Deshaun Watson is not playing. Right. So who cares? Like if, if anybody I'm targeting the pass catcher here. Right. But we don't even know if David Johnson is going to be in, involved a ton, even though he's a third down guy, even though he's a, he's the guy going to be playing in two minute drills. Uh, I don't know. Like this is, it seems like a dicey situation to me. So I'm completely avoiding this backfield. I, I already was, but the fact that like it became even more ambiguous uh, is it's a complete like no for me. In a weird way, I kind of feel more confident about a guy like Brennan Cooks because um, in this offense, like if David Johnson's role isn't really secure, and you're looking to pass the ball when you're on two minute drills. I mean, there's literally now nobody else other than Brandon Cooks for the ball to go to, right? I mean, like, if, if David Johnson is going to be that guy in passing downs, then he's going to be that guy. But if we're not even sure if he's going to be that guy or if he's not even going to have a secure role, if they're not going to utilize him in that way or they don't see him as an important part of this running back group, then I think Brandon Cooks, uh, he, he's being way overlooked. He's being way overlooked because I don't see where else the ball can go if, if David Johnson's not going to be on that spot. So, yeah, no, I, I hear you on that one. Um, uh, moving on to the Cardinals, uh, Rondell Moore, he looked good with the first team. Um, and, you know, he's somebody who was involved like off the get. Like, like I think he was, the first play of the game uh, was a screen to Rondell Moore. He got a couple carries, he got a couple, he got a couple targets. Um, and he looked good. If he is going to get opportunity this year, like legit opportunity, like I feel like he could be uh, amazing. Now, I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity, right? Like we need to remind ourselves that DeAndre Hopkins didn't play, right? Uh, AJ AJ Green didn't play. Uh, him and Christian Kirk were both in the field, right? When these guys do play, it's very possible we see Kirk in the slot, right? And not more most of the time this year. So I think Moore is going to be pretty involved this year, but I'm just not sure how much, and I'm not sure if he'll be dependable for fantasy, right? I think between these two guys, like I think I'd rather have Christian Kirk, honestly, because he's going to be, I think he's going to be the main slot receiver. Um, now, it, you know, if they prefer Rondo Moore on the field because they can give him some carries and all that as well, then sure, like I can see a world where Rondo Moore is more valuable. Um, but between like these wide receivers, if I had to choose between those two guys, I think Christian Kirk, if he's in the slot, I think he could eat from that position. Um, Chase Edmonds got all seven snaps for the Cardinals with James Conner out on the COVID list yesterday in that game. Um, and then his night was done, right? So like, you know, they're, they have, they're, they're putting, they put him in an every down role, you know, with that first team. Well, not even with the first team, they, 
they put him in for the first team and then they just took him out and they said, okay, United is done. Right. So it seems to me like if Edmund, if Connor ever gets hurt this year, like it's going to be the Edmund show. Um, they probably have some, uh, you know, other back, you know, rotate in, but at the same time, like Chase Edmonds is going to have a, a, a huge role if James Connor were to go down and regardless whether he goes down or not, it looks like Edmonds is primed to have a big year. Um, as as the what who I think is going to be the one A in this offense in terms of touches and in terms of valuable touches um, and that sort of thing. Um, let's see. Like, uh, let's look at let's look at these other situations. Uh, DeAndre Swift he was out this week. Jamal Williams uh, played all twenty two snaps with the starters. He did not leave the field. He was the bell cow. So, uh, my advice is to draft Jamal Williams for depth. Um, his stat line wasn't great, but it's really about the opportunity. It's about what, you know, what kind of opportunity are you getting? Especially if you end up with DeAndre Swift, who knows what's up with that groin injury. Uh, Dan Campbell said he could have played if they needed him, but soft tissue injuries are always a bit worrisome. Um, if, you, if you're, you know, thinking about like a guy like Jamar Jefferson, uh, you know, he played with the backups and they chose to not play him at all with the first team. Um, so Jamal Williams is, is, is that dude. Um, and even, you know, it, with DeAndre Swift uh, healthy, you know, Jamal Williams might have a role and enough of a role to potentially have him, you know, uh, in your flex, you know, at, at some spots, depending on how they use him this year. And it's very possible that this backfield is very running back centric uh, in terms of, you know, uh, rushes and targets. So he's somebody that, you know, is going relatively late. And he's somebody that, uh, you know, it looks like a clear handcuff, a three down handcuff to Giandra Swift. Let's see. Um, that's really it, man. Was there any other, you know, you want to talk about Antonio Gibson real quick. Uh, we, I think we actually, we already hit on Antonio Gibson. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, I think that was about it, man. Um, there's, there's one or two things I want to bring up here, which is sure. Go for it. Um, Quez Watkins. He had that one big play where he took that screen pass um, you know, if you look at the stat sheet, you'll see Joe Flacco had over 100 yards and a touchdown. And you're like, well, look, Joe Flacco. No, it was all Quez Watkins. Flacco didn't do anything. Jalen Hurts is the guy there. Um, looking at some of these other things, I mean, KJ Hamler seemed to really have a good connection with Drew Locke. And Drew Locke also looked, I don't know if we talked about this already, but Drew Locke looked pretty good. Um, yeah. it's, it's something to monitor. Uh, he had 151 passing yards, two touchdowns. KJ Hamler was the receiving end of one of those touchdowns. It was a beautiful pass by Locke. So uh, if this becomes a thing, then uh, we might have to look at some of these other guys. Uh, other than that, I mean, DJ Dallas with the uh, Seattle Seahawks, I mean, he got a pretty decent role in this first preseason game. Um, he had about five, about seven touches. Uh, he scored a touchdown on those plays. He was pretty involved last year without Rashad Penny and, you know, down to their last dime in terms of these running backs in Seattle. So DJ Dallas with Rashad Penny being Rashad Penny, uh, he could end up being that compliment to Chris Carson. He could end up being that handcuff, that backup to Chris Carson. So that's something to monitor. Yeah, um, keep, keep, keep in mind that, like, you know, Dallas was doing his thing. Alice Collins actually played all, all the snaps with the first team this year, uh, in that game, and he came off the field, and then DJ Dallas came in. So we just have to make sure that, like, hey, like, you know, if DJ Dallas obviously can jump 
you know, over Alex Collins. Um, but it's very possible that Alex Collins, Collins becomes the backup at some point if if Carson were to go down. This can easily become a timeshare, you know, if Carson were to go down. That's probably what would happen, right, if, if Carson were to get hurt, I'm, I'm guessing. I think – and my last point here is I think with a lot of these uh, players in preseason is that, like, if you've been practicing with the second team – you're probably going to be playing with the second team in that game. Uh, so if they want to make that jump from second to first team, no matter how bad anyone else looks, like in this scenario, DJ Dallas playing with the second team makes sense. Alex Collins being a veteran, having played with some of these guys in the first first team offense before makes sense for why he would be on the field in that sense. But um, with, yeah, the way one, I look at it, the way yeah. I look at it is I look at it in terms of depth chart. I look yeah. at it as like, you know, if, if you're going to be the first one on the field, you're 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 the first one on the depth chart. If you if you're the second one on the yeah. field, you're the second one on the depth chart. Is when it comes to running backs, right? With sure. wide receivers, it's a little bit different because there are different roles. So like you know, if you're an X receiver, then you know, it, you know, just because one of your outside receivers gets hurt, it doesn't mean that the next receiver will just hop in there, right? It's possible sure. that they they don't feel comfortable with that receiver on the outside. They only feel comfortable with them in the slot, or they only feel comfortable with them as a flanker. Um, so that's why that's when you look at the depth chart to see like okay like. Who like sometimes a wide receiver will have a direct backup, whereas another wide receiver goes down and that direct backup doesn't go on the field. So sure. it's super interesting when it comes to wide receivers. Um, but with, with running backs, it, it seems like it's a little bit more, a little bit more straightforward. You know, when it comes to like you know who's who's on the field. So, you know, I I, I'm not, I wouldn't be confident in DJ Dallas, especially with the fact that he didn't look amazing last year with opportunity he, he had his games but you know it, it is what it is um the last thing i want to talk about before we we head out dude is like is michael gallup and his role um you know cd lamb last year played almost exclusively in the slot but you know but in this game he played almost exclusively on the outside and that's something that kellen moore talked about this year moving these guys around and gallup moving around is huge for his value right he was stuck in the x last year it was the toughest position on that offense he was running deep routes a ton but his offensive line was shit, right? He's going to get shined if he gets to run from the slot and as a flanker. Um, and he he did get a ton of routes from the slot in this game. So I, I get that it's hard to imagine so many guys eating in this offense, but with the amount of plays they run a game, with how pass-heavy they are, they can all eat, and Michael Gallup should be on our draft radars. Absolutely. Especially with Dak. Yeah. Especially with Dak back. All right, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we try to get as much as we could, you know, just a, a, like a ton of information for you guys. Um, and we're going to do the same thing next next week after week two of preseason just to kind of keep you updated. We're going to see how many of these situations completely flip on his head, right? It, it's very possible. And it's very possible that we see some trends, like the trends that, that, that Joe, uh, you know, is looking for to kind of, you know, get, you know, more of a firm uh, belief on what was going to happen when the season, when week one uh comes right um so we really appreciate you guys thank you for listening to this um enjoy some football this week uh week one is right around the corner so we're, we're excited uh so thank you guys so much if you can rate the podcast uh hit us up on instagram i'm faraz at uh, at fantasy that's joe uh, at fantasy.football.analyst make sure you check us out there um we'll see you guys next time take it easy see ya see you